amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. Amen. Everybody smile this morning. Can everybody smile? Amen. Amen. It is a Sunday morning. And uh, I know I've been dealing with some sinus allergy problems. Said Brother Spell was, I sound like you are. So, kind of, I guess, in the air, whatever's blooming. Amen. Amen. Everybody may be a little tired under the weather, but we're going to have church today. Amen. 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 It's always a good day to be in the house of the Lord. It's a privilege to enter into those doors and feel His presence. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to say thank you to Brother Townley in his absence for allowing us to be here. Amen. I, I would say, and I believe you would concur, you've known him longer, that we have the greatest pastor in the world. Amen. Does anybody else believe that? Amen. And um, I believe that it lends itself to the fact that men are wanting to hear his voice in their conferences and in their pulpits. Amen. And it is a privilege to have a pastor that other churches and other men of God want to hear from. The wisdom that we get to hear. Amen. The wisdom that you guys have heard for years to be shared with other churches. What a blessing. Amen. What a, I know sometimes it's hard. Uh, I grew up in a church where our pastor went some. And it is hard for the pastor not to be home. But you think about how he is helping other people. Amen. Aren't you glad to have a pastor people want to hear? Amen. Amen. Such a first-class man of God and his family and this church. What a wonderful church. Amen. I told a, a preacher friend that I spoke with yesterday that when you walk through the doors of this church, you can just feel the, the excellence and the time spent in prayer and seeking the face of God. Amen. From, from uh, the very beginning, everything that you do in service, uh, out of church, preparing food, whatever it is, it's with excellence and with a Christian spirit. Amen. You guys are a wonderful church family. Amen. What wonderful saints of God that you are. Why don't you give yourself a hand today? Amen. Amen. We had a, had a good time. It was my first time to go uh, with the men's breakfast and men's prayer. Had a good time. Uh, visiting and just getting to know some of the guys, and uh, nothing wrong with praying and eating. Amen. <laughs> Two things we enjoy, and uh, getting to know each other, and uh, had a good time with that. I want to say thank you to those that were able to help uh, us with our move, move in, and all kinds of stuff, and uh, I want to really appreciate that for you. Welcome us with open arms, uh, expressing your uh, kindness to us and your willingness to help with whatever, I really do thank you for that. I, I am thankful to have a family here. Amen. Uh, I don't feel like that we're the outsiders, although we're all getting acquainted. I feel like y'all have all welcomed us with open arms and are glad that we're here, and I thank you for that. Amen. 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 Well, let's stand today for the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. We're going to go first to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 9. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 9, and also Ephesians chapter number 2, beginning with verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, Ephesians 2 and 1. Uh, I also want to say we had a good time with uh, outreach yesterday. Uh, wonderful time, met some some good people, and uh, really expecting the Lord to do great things. My wife and I met someone at the park yesterday, a lady with a young kid, and said that she would do her best to make it to a service, and seemed very sincere, seemed hungry for somebody to just to talk to, was there at the park by herself, don't know her situation, um, had a little girl that was three, my youngest age. And just had a good time visiting with her. There are hungry people in this city. Amen. 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 People looking for answers, for hope. And uh, if we'll just be sensitive to it. Amen. I want to see revival happen. Amen. 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 First Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Ephesians chapter number two, beginning with verse number one, it reads like this, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved." And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Both both of these verses speak of us, speak of people who at one time lived after the dictates or the ideas of the flesh, of sin, of the sinful world. But somehow we were made clean by the washing and the regeneration by the blood, by the mercy of God, we were made clean. We were made a new creature in him. Amen. All the old things passed, all the old issues, all the old hang-ups, all the old addictions passed, and everything become new. Amen. I, I'm going to hold my title for just a few minutes, but uh, I want to go to the Lord in prayer right now. If you would pray with me. Amen. I feel a burden for somebody 
in this house today, and I feel a definite direction in the Holy Ghost. I need a saint of God to pray with me right now and join with me in this burden. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We worship you, and we praise you. God, thank you for allowing us to be in your house today. Thank you for your spirit that we feel, God, already working, Lord. I pray right now, Jesus, that you would anoint me to preach what you've given me, God. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Let your will be done. God, I pray right now that we would come together in unity of faith, pulling together, Lord. Help me to deliver my heart, Lord. I want to see somebody touched. I want to see somebody changed, God. I want to see somebody get beyond that thing that is holding them back, God. I want to see somebody set free and delivered, God. I want to see somebody go to the next level, Lord. I want to see somebody find a release, God, in your precious name today. And we'll thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name. Everybody said it with me. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. My mom was known, and Brother uh, Spell is the only one that really had any knowledge of her and knew her. Uh, her and her uh, very close friend, which was our, our school principal's wife, uh, Sister Becky Benson, who the Spells have known for years, uh, were compadres, if you will. They were uh, bargain shoppers and bargain hunters. That's what they did for uh, entertainment on Thursday nights when we got old enough, uh, us kids, to leave, probably 10 or 11 years old. They would go out and do their grocery shopping and go out to eat. But the, quickly the grocery shopping turned into bargain hunting. It, it, they found time to grocery shop on another night, and they started running all the discount stores and, 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 and all the sales in town. They started trying to find the best deals. And I heard my dad say before, jokingly, of course, that uh, he was going to go broke saving so much money. Amen. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. He was going to go broke couponing. Amen. And uh, just hit a side note here. I was at the grocery store uh, just the other day. I don't even remember what, what store it was, but somebody was couponing in front of me, and it took about 15 or 20 minutes for the cashier to ring up all of these items and go through all the coupons and the store had some kind of game going on or something and hand out all these little game tickets and all this stuff. And I'm telling you, I was, I just was there to buy some milk, I think, and some bread. And I was about fit to be tied, this lady. And I mean, it was like bottle after bottle of soap and bottle after bottle. It was stuff you could tell she really didn't need that bad, but she was saving money. And my mom was, was good at saving money. As a matter of fact, we was uh, visiting with the Spells the other night, and uh, my mom had so many towels whenever she passed, and we began to go through uh, my parents' house. Towels put up in closets and towels put up you know, under beds where she had gotten really good deals on these towels and, and fully intended to give them as wedding shower gifts or whatever the, the case would be, but she would forget, and so she would go buy something else. We had, I think, five boxes, big U-Haul boxes, full of brand-new towels that she had saved money on buying these towels. And so as a little child, my mom discovered a store uh, right down the road from Porter where, where I was raised is New Caney. And as you're going 59 north towards Lufkin, Texas, right just about 10 miles from the house, 
kind of in the middle of nowhere is this warehouse. This this used to be blue, now it's brown warehouse, and it is it's not Walmart or Kroger or Randalls or Piggly Wiggly or H E B or Albertsons or any of the above. This place is called the grocery warehouse. Anybody ever seen a place like that? The grocery warehouse. And it's just an old metal barn is what it looks like. And we would go inside, and uh, in the grocery warehouse, things were not organized like most grocery stores where you had, you know, your section for your produce and your section for your canned goods and your breads and so forth. It was just kind of thrown in there, it looked like. Almost looked like an explosion had happened. They just, wherever they could find a spot, they'd throw a cardboard box down and rip it open and, you know, write with Sharpie or something on the front of it how much it was. And, and what the grocery warehouse, uh, the idea behind it, it was seconds or it was damaged uh, items from big box stores. So when Walmart had something that, you know, maybe a can of Dr. Pepper's fell and the bottoms of them started to explode out where they couldn't sit still, they would send them onto the grocery warehouse. Or if, if uh, a big company came up with a marketing scheme and it didn't turn out too well, they would send it to the grocery warehouse. If things were really close in date and sometimes right at the date or over the date, they would send it to grocery warehouse. And and growing up, I remember Madison going to school. I went to a church school. We brought our own lunches. And so I would take Coke with me, you know, Dr. Pepper Coke. And I would set my Coke down and never knew what it was to have a Coke that could sit still on a table because the bottom was blown out or the top was blown out or something was wrong with them. And that's just, that's the way it was, was my mom was going to find a deal. There may be a rip in the box. The packaging was all right, of course. They couldn't sell it. The packaging wasn't right. But the box may be ripped in half. And so you'd have a bag of cereal hanging out of the box or whatever it was. It was the grocery warehouse. It was damaged. It was stuff that most people didn't want. But we didn't care because we were saving money. And I remember going to, and, and let me tell you, is that when you start to have a family and you begin to... Uh, to take account of your own finances, uh, you begin to look for these things yourself. Amen. You begin to look for every deal that you can find. And, and I remember, and uh, we've talked about it, Brother, Brother Got the Dillard's Clearance Center, and we just discovered that a few years ago. But at the time, when I was a kid, there wasn't a Dillard's Clearance Center that we knew of. And so we would go to some places, and I would get dress shirts, and I would have to roll one of the sleeves up and button it because it was a little longer than the other sleeve. Anybody ever had anything like that before? <laughs> and my mom would just say, well, roll it up and button it, you know. <laughs> You're going to wear a suit coat anyway. Nobody would be able to tell. And uh, you just, well, we're sharing a little humor here, but I'm being truthful with you. My wife could amen it, you know, and that was, that's just the way it was, is you had to go dig and find it. And you, I remember as a kid that my mom would buy my shoes because I would grow really fast, and I guarantee you somebody else in here has done this. My mom would buy my shoes a size or maybe a size and a half too big and shove toilet paper in the, in the foot. Yeah, <laughs> somebody else has seen that, amen. And uh, just, just, that's just the way it was. But this grocery warehouse, that was where we got a lot of our groceries from. And it was, it was damaged. It was damaged items. It was damaged goods, if you will. It was stuff that, 
uh, uh, most people wouldn't want. Most people in here, if, if you could get a dress shirt that, uh, and I've had this happen where I bought the size I needed, maybe a 15 and a half at the time when I was a teenager, and you went to put it on and the neck came down to here because it was probably really like an 18 or a 19. And thankfully, my dad wore that size, so he got that shirt. <laughs> But that was just, it's damaged stuff. It's leftovers. It's stuff that nobody really wants. It's stuff that, you know, Macy's couldn't sell or JCPenney or Sears couldn't sell. That It's stuff that Walmart couldn't put on their shelves because it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's not something that people want to go feel like they're paying full price for and get something that has a dent in it or damaged or rips or tears. They want something that looks right, that looks put together that looks like everything is just the way that it ought to be. Most people, when they're buying something new, they don't want a dent in it. They don't want a scratch on it. If I go to buy a new car, when I get in that car, I want it to be able to crank right up and run perfect. I don't want to see a big old key job down the side of it where somebody has ran a key. I don't want to see a, a dent in the fenders. I don't want to see tires that are worn. I want it in perfect condition because I'm buying it New, it's not damaged goods. And in life, everything that we do, we want something whenever we pay money for it. We want it to be in the best condition that we can, that we can possibly have. We don't, want, uh, we don't want the blemishes on it. I don't want to go and get a new shirt and have a stain right down the front of it. I will do that quickly after I get it, I promise you. But when I buy it, I want it to be right. I want it to look right. I want everything to be put together just the way that it should be. I don't want to buy damaged goods. I want to preach to you today from this thought. God specializes in damaged goods. Amen. God specializes in damaged goods. Damaged goods, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is products that are broken, cracked, scratched, dented, etc. It is a person also who is considered to be no longer desirable or valuable because of something that has happened. A person whose reputation is damaged. Amen. This is a popular uh, uh, statement in today's uh, society is that that person is damaged goods. That person, what that lends itself to is that person is not someone who you want to have a relationship with. That is not someone who you want to be friends with. That is not someone who you want to uh, uh, connect up with in a group of people. But, but it is someone to avoid. It is someone to stay away from. It is someone to be wary of. It is someone to look at with, with a uh, 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 desire to say, you know what, maybe, maybe I ought to stay away from them. Maybe I ought to keep the kids back from them because something in their life has, has marked them as damaged goods. Something in their life has, has lent itself to them being a failure or them having an addiction or whatever the case may be. When we read in the Bible, we read a story. And, and many times when we read the Bible, we look at it as a story in its completeness, in its wholeness, because we learn from a little child in Sunday school many of these stories. But we begin to read about Jesus and his disciples. They've just come through a very serious storm. This is the place where Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And the storm is, is rocking and rolling. The waves are crashing over the side. The disciples go to him and say, 
Master, do you not care that we're going to perish? We know the story. He steps to the front of the boat and he says, peace, be still. And immediately the winds and the seas, they cease to rock and roll and be in a storm and in a tumult. And they go to a calm. And as they come to the other side, they are tired, they are worn out. I would imagine these disciples probably in their mind, they're saying, how could this happen? We know the Bible says that they speak, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And in their mind, they're focusing on the miracle that they just saw, the thing that they just, they just beheld Jesus doing with the elements. And as they step off of this boat and they begin to look around. They find themselves at the very edge of an old graveyard. They find themselves at the very edge of a place of death. They've, they find themselves at the edge of a place of hopelessness, if you will. We know that at a graveyard, there is no more hope. At a graveyard, it is a place of finality. A graveyard is not a place where there is much excitement, but it is a place where dreams can no longer come to pass. It is a place where we can no longer realize any more goals because it is a place of finality and death. And as they step on this shore and look around, they see in the distance a man coming towards them. But this man does not look normal. Something is different about this man. As he begins to approach them, they see that there are chains hanging off of his body. They see that there are cuts all over him, and they see that he is crazy. Something's not right. They can see it in his eyes, and they can hear it in the screams as he's crying out, and as he's screaming, as he's running like a wild man because, you see, he is driven like a wild man. Something is wrong with this man. I could imagine that they had probably heard the stories about this man before. That's that crazy man that the town had tried everything that they could try. That's that man. They tried to bind him with chains many times, but he would just rip them asunder. He would, he would just pull them apart like they were nothing. The town has tried to do everything that they could do but he lives over here in these caves he lives over here in this old graveyard cutting himself and screaming running around not even keeping clothes on himself he's a lunatic he's crazy something's not right I can imagine in their humanity as they probably would begin to question why Lord would you come here this is not a place that we want to be we don't desire to be around this crazy man you see in their mind he was damaged goods. He wasn't someone that they would want to have dinner with. He wasn't someone that they could have a conversation with. He wasn't someone that they would be proud to consider as a friend. But this man was damaged goods. This man was someone that society had kicked out. This man was someone who was no longer welcome in his family's household. But he was banished to a graveyard to spend his life in turmoil, to spend his life in hurt, to spend his life in pain, to spend his life being controlled by the sins and the addictions and the issues that he had allowed himself to succumb to. 
And this man is here now. I wonder why and how this man finds himself in this place. We look at the Bible, as I said, in stories so many times and just see the small scope of things. But I begin to wonder just a little while ago, what was this man's story? This man at some point... Brother God was born to a mom and a dad as a little baby. At some point, this little baby was a beautiful, little precious baby that, that a mama was rocking and, and, and talking to and, and singing beautiful little lullabies to. At some point, this was a beautiful little baby that a dad held and possibly told the dreams that he had for him and, and told him what he wanted him to be when he grew up and how he wanted to be a strong young man and how he wanted to be a power young man and, and the desires that he had to see him fulfill the dreams that he perhaps couldn't fulfill and he shared these with him that perhaps we don't know allow me some liberty here today perhaps he grew up a little bit and he began to show and, and, and his abilities in, in, in work and his abilities in leading people we don't know and perhaps maybe he even found a lady and he got married and had some children of his own who knows what his story is but somewhere in life he began to get mixed up in some things that he shouldn't have got mixed up in he began to play around with some stuff that he should not have played around with he began to mess around with some some uh, things that he should not have messed around with and they begin to get a hold of him and he, and he begins to pursue after them a little bit harder and it breaks his family apart and it pulls him away from his friends and it's not too long till the city, till the government, till the people of that city couldn't do anything with him. I, I believe they probably tried to do everything that they could do. If they would have been in modern society, they would have sent him to a psychiatrist. They would have put him on medicine to try to regulate things. They would have tried to excuse it away as perhaps he had a chemical imbalance or perhaps he had some sort of depression. Perhaps, perhaps there was some sort of mental issue and this man is dealing with this and so he's sent out of the city no longer does anyone want to have anything to do with him no longer is he that cute little baby in mama's lap no longer is he that loving husband or father but now he is possessed now he is damaged goods now he is the worthless man of society now he finds himself in the graveyard where everyone at all costs avoid him if at all possible. Where everyone tells stories to their children about him. Where he is the one used to scare the little kids in the stories that they tell. And mom and dad say, stay away from that man. Something's wrong with him. Something's not right there. He's possessed. He's controlled by the things that he played around with. When we begin to read this story... We read in the Bible that he is naked. He is extremely violent. Matthew says that he was so fierce that no man would pass by that way. He was prone to wanderings as a vagabond in the desert. He was possessed by a legion, some possibly four to 6,000 demons. He was living in a cemetery in a graveyard, and he had been living in this condition for a long, long time. This man hadn't decided 
uh, as a young man to just, I want to live in a graveyard. I want to live in misery. I want to live in pain. I want to live a lonely life. But, but somewhere in playing around with those things, those sins and addictions somewhere, it got a hold of him. Can I tell you today that sin will take you farther than you want to go. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you can afford to pay. And so he's at this place where he's spent, if you will. He has nothing left to offer anyone. Nobody cares to see him. They just want to put him out of sight and out of mind. They just want to get him out of the way. Put him out of our sight. Forget about him and stay away from him. But this man who has been living in this misery, who has been living in this pain, all of a sudden wakes up on one more day. But something is different about this day. Yes, he's still in pain. Yes, he's still in misery. But as he looks, he sees a boat landing on his shore. And he sees some men getting out of that boat. And one of these men, they're different than any man that he's ever saw. One of these men, he can see they're not looking at him. This man is not looking at him with fear. He's not looking at him with disgust. But he's looking at him as he makes eye contact. He's looking at him with love. He's looking at him with compassion. He's not looking at him angrily saying, get out of my way. He's not looking at him as the dirt beneath his feet but there is such a love such a deep love there he senses it and he feels it those spirits still controlling him he runs to Jesus and those spirits began to speak out why are you going to torment us before our time why have you come if you would allow me to say this that man is there at the feet of Jesus because in his humanity in his in his own human nature he's desiring to get out of that life he's desiring to get out of that hurt he's desiring to get out of that graveyard he's sick and tired of living the way he's living he's tired of cutting him himself. He's tired of running. He's tired of the chains. He's tired of the hatred from other people. He's tired of his life he's living. So he finds himself at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is there with love. Jesus is there with compassion. He don't have chains in his hands trying to chain him up one more time. He don't have cruel words coming out of his mouth. But there is love there. Jesus does something that somebody, no one has cared to take time for in such a long time. He looks at him and says, what is your name? Nobody's cared for a long time because all they've seen is the pain. All they've seen is the heartache. All they've seen is the damaged goods. All they've seen is the cuts. All they've seen is the chains. But Jesus takes his time and says, what is your name? And he responds. He responds not with his name that mom and dad had given him. He responds not with the name that people had known him as, as a young man. But he responds from that place of being controlled. He responds from that place of being possessed by his past. He responds from that place of being controlled by those sins and those addictions. He responds by what he's been tagged with. He says, I am legion. For we are many. It's that 
thing that's controlling him. It's that past that he's allowed to stamp its, its mark upon his life. Uh, he's responding as, if you will, I am damaged goods. You don't, I don't know who you are, but you don't want to take time with me. I, I, I don't know who you are. You, you probably don't realize who I am, but I'm damaged goods. I, I, I'm legion. You don't want to waste your time with me. You don't want to waste your time here. If, if it were in today's society, we would respond with, oh, I, I'm just the old drunkard, or, or oh, I'm just the, uh, the old abuser, or oh, I'm just the old abused, if you will, or, or oh, I'm just the one that everyone else has forgotten about. You don't want to take time for me. You don't know who I am. You don't understand my story. Just stop right there. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't seeing the past. Yes, Jesus knew the past. Yes, Jesus had to forgive him. But what Jesus was seeing was the soul of someone who was crying out. They were possessed. They couldn't get past it by themselves. They had tried everything that they could try. They had tried every 12-step program that they could try. But they would just fail over and over again. And he was looking at a man who was crying out. Out, saying somebody help me I'm damaged goods nobody cares about me nobody wants me I'm even going to respond to you with the name that society's given me but deep down there was a cry for help deep down there was a man who realized that he didn't have to live that way deep down there was a man saying please somebody help me so we know the story. Jesus doesn't wrestle around with him. Jesus doesn't play around, but he just tells the spirits to go. He just commands the spirits to leave. And can I tell you that we find this man clothed and in his right mind. Everything put back together. Hey, when Jesus does something, he does it perfect. When Jesus puts a life back together, he brings wholeness. He doesn't just bring a band-aid. He doesn't just put on a little paint. But when Jesus does it, he does it complete. He makes it whole. He makes everything right again. When he does it, it's perfection. He is the one that is the creator and he is the one that can recreate. He is the one that spoke and out of nothing came something. And he is the one that can step to a life that is bound in pain, is bound in turmoil, is bound in sin, and can step to that life and begin to speak with those same words of let there be. And it can happen all over again because of the creative power of his words, because of the creativity in his hands, because God specializes in damaged goods because God specializes in taking lives that are hopeless and lives that are in the midst of failure and lives that are dented, if you will, and lives that have scratches down the side of them, if you will, and lives that have 
blemishes in the paint job, if you will, and taking that life and not banging the dents out and not putting some new paint on the side of it, but taking that life and making it a brand new life. Old things passed away and all things, all things becoming new. Hallelujah. Can I tell you today, let me just lay just a little bit of groundwork, you not knowing me, that I'm not preaching about an easy salvation. I'm not preaching that we can do whatever we want to do and just have everything being all right with us and the Lord. But that we still believe that Revelation 21 and 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, idolaters and liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Romans 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Can I tell you that contrary to popular modern religion, that we don't believe that you can just live any old way and just make it to heaven. But we believe that you got to be accountable for your sins. We believe that you got to be accountable for the things that you do. We believe that God is going to hold you accountable for every word that you speak, for every deed that you do, for every thought that you have, that God is going to hold you accountable. But can I tell you today that it does not matter what sin that you've committed. Everybody in this house, everyone from the greatest to the least, from the richest to the poorest, we're all in the same condition. We were all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. Each and every last one of us were born with this human nature, which goes back to Adam and Eve when they partook of the fruit and sin entered into the world. None of us are born perfect. None of us are born right, but we're all born. No matter if we're born into wealth or we're born into poverty, we're all born in sin. We're all born with a great issue between us and God. We're all born with a separation between this human nature and the divine nature. We're all born with hang-ups and issues can I tell you that it doesn't matter if you just got in church or if you're not in church or if you've been in church for 50 years that every one of us have this nature that we have to fight with every one of us whether you've lived in church since you were a little kid and slept under a pew and you never did any serious uh, drugs or alcohol or whatever it is or if you were the chiefest uh, in your mind of sinners and you went out and you did everything under the sun and you tried everything can I tell you that everybody in here is damaged goods because all of us in here are human all of us in here have that sinful nature everyone in this place today everybody has that sin nature so we're all damaged goods 
but we can get it in our mind as we begin to categorize and separate things in life uh, that we can get in our mind well I'm not as bad as they are or I'm not as good as they are or I've done more than them or I've done less than them we can begin to put things in uh, categories and sins and categories but can I tell you something that when Jesus looks and sees sin what he sees is sin he don't see great and small but what he sees is sin and so it don't matter if you just told a lie or if you were the biggest drug dealer in town Jesus looks and he sees sin and there must be something done about that sin so down through the ages reading the Bible we begin to realize that sin has entered the world with Adam and Eve and there is a break in the relationship with God he can no longer come down in the cool of the day and walk with them but there has to be something happen. There has to be a sacrifice to come. And, and so the shedding of blood has to begin to take place. And they began to offer animals. And we're not going to spend a lot of time going into the background. I'm going to rely upon knowing that your pastor has taught you the Bible. And so they began to shed the blood of animals to roll ahead their sins for one year. But we began to read about people in the Bible that we hold in high esteem and high regard. Abraham, who we look at as a great man, and he was, but we realize that Abraham lied to and deceived people. But somehow in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7, we read that he is the father of the faithful. Romans 4 and 20, we read that he staggered not at the promises of God. Somewhere there was a man who was damaged goods. At some point, he was a liar, a deceiver. But God got a hold of him and was able to work with him and through him. And he became a man who was the very father of the faithful, who was the very father of the children of God. A man who it could be said that he did not stagger at God's promises. He's no longer tagged with being a liar. He's no longer tagged with being a deceiver. When we preach about him, we preach about him being faithful. We preach about him leaving everything he had and pursuing after God. We don't preach about the liar, the deceiver. Same with David. When we preach about David, we preach about a man who killed a lion and a bear, who killed Goliath, who was anointed king. We don't preach about a man who was to be out at war, but was not and fell into sin. We don't preach about a man who fell into a bad place of failure and of disappointing God and of disappointing the man of God. But what we preach about and what we read about is a man who is after God's own heart. We, we read about a man who is the apple of God's eye. We read about a man who is pleasing to God. We read about a man who is the servant of God. We preach about David as a powerful man, not as a failure. But can I tell you something? That David was a man who was damaged goods. He was a man who disappointed everyone in his life, and he disappointed God. He was a man who, as the preacher, the man of God, would step in his life and begin to tell him a story about a man with a little lamb. David would get disappointed and he would ask who this man was. The man of God would point his finger and say, you're the man. In other words, David, you're damaged goods. Yeah, you consider yourself high. You've gotten lifted up in yourself. Yeah, you've let 
pride come in your life, but your damaged goods. Can I tell you what made the difference with David was that he didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to hide it, but he was willing to admit it. Yeah, I'm damaged goods. Yeah, there's sin in my life. And he began to cry out unto God, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies, blot out mine transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He was willing to admit it. He didn't try to hide behind his kingly robes. He didn't try to hide behind his position. He didn't try to hide behind the beautiful things in his life. But he was willing to say, yes, I am that man. Yes, I've felt God. Yes, I've made a mess of it. Yes, I am damaged good. But God, if you can take me, I don't have much to offer you anymore. All I have in my hands is is a list of failures. All I have in my hands is a list of shortcomings. All I have in my hands is the hurt and the pain that I've caused others. But God, if you can wash me, if you can have mercy upon me, God, if you can cleanse me, God, if you can make something out of this damaged goods. That's what God was searching for. That's what God was seeking for. David in uh, Psalms chapter 51 verse 16 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise Can I tell you today, that is what he's looking for. He's not looking for perfect people. As a matter of fact, when you begin to read the Gospels, the people that he would turn and rebuke were those Pharisees and those Sadducees who tried to show that they were perfect. He called them whited sepulchers full of dead man's bones. But who he was constantly reaching for were the outcasts of society. They were the tax collectors. They were the publicans. They were the sinners. That's who he was reaching for. He wasn't reaching for those that had everything together but he was reaching for someone with a broken and a contrite heart. He was reaching for someone who realized that they had made some mistakes. Who realized that they had some hang-ups. Who realized that they were damaged goods. That's who he was reaching for. That's who he was pulling for. That's, that, that's the ones he came to seek for and to save was for those who didn't have everything together. Those whose lives weren't the perfect little story. Those whose lives weren't the exact little thing that everybody wanted to read about. We were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Can I tell you today that we look around and we see other people in the church, we see other people that we admire and we don't know their story. Dare I say in this audience today that what we see is the suits and the ties. What we see is the nice dresses and the beautiful shoes, the nice hairdos. But what we don't know is the things that are going on behind those eyes and that mind, the the turmoil and the torment that is there. What we don't know is the things that people have been saddled with, the baggage that they're dealing with. Can I tell you that even in a church 
today that there are people, dare I say, in this building this morning who that, that you've come and, you, and you've dressed up and, and everything looks right and everything looks put together and everything looks perfect that, that you're here every service perhaps, but, but somewhere in the back of your mind is that failure in your past. Uh, somewhere in the back of your mind is that shortcoming that you've always dealt with somewhere in the back of your mind is knowing what mom and dad are or were is knowing the mess that they made of life is knowing what they are is knowing that they've not been consistent in living for God and knowing that they've not been consistent in pleasing God and so as your mind is there the enemy of your soul tries to torment you and tell you that's just what you are going to be you're damaged goods. You're going to be what mom and dad have always been. You're going to be what those past failures were in your life. God can't use you. God can't bring you out to take you into a place in the kingdom where he can set you forth for his service. Look at your past. Look at what you've done. Look at how you failed your family. Look at the the disappointment that you brought to people in the town. Hey, yeah, perhaps you've got the Holy Ghost. Perhaps you're here and you've shouted and danced, but you can only get to a certain level and then the enemy begins to torment your mind because of what you've done. And you begin to believe the lie of perhaps I'm damaged goods. Perhaps I'm really not valuable to the kingdom of God. I've not got everything put together like Brother Townley does. I've not got a perfect little past like somebody else in the church does. I wasn't raised on a Pentecostal pew, but I come from a home of torment torment and turmoil. I came from a home where my mom and dad were abusive. I came from a home where there was drugs and alcohol. Whatever your story is, perhaps you're here today and you were abused as a child. And so you've carried that package around. You've carried those thoughts around. You've carried those bitterness the bitter feelings and the hatred around for that person. But I want to tell you in this house this morning that God loves you. You may feel like you're damaged goods, but God specializes in damaged goods. You may feel like you're worthless, but to God, you are worth everything. God loves you. God cares for you. Can I, can I just share my heart with you today? That I, I don't come from a family where everything is perfect and everything is wonderful and everything is beautiful. I believe I may have spoke briefly about it. But I come from a family, we're sharing some of it with Brother Spell the other night. I come from a family with a grandfather in West Texas who was back in the back in the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s, was known for running the bars in Crane, Texas, Odessa, Texas, the surrounding towns, and fighting, fighting with a knife, fighting, going, getting arrested. And that was the history of the family, being a drunk, 
uh, just having a rap sheet of everything you could think of, being a drunk and being abusive to his wife, his wife being abusive back to him, being arrested many times for DWIs before they took it serious and would pull license. This man was arrested over and over again. As a matter of fact, the last time that he was arrested, he was well up into his 70s and had driven his truck, his brand new truck, through a plate glass window of the liquor store and got into the passenger seat trying to convince the police officer that he was not driving. The police officer knew him and didn't believe it for a minute because he had arrested him before. But this is the life that we come from. And so his children, he had 10 kids and all of those kids began to follow that same path. My grandmother was the oldest of the 10 kids and she was married five different times, was a lady who was looking to fill that void, was a lady who believed that she would just have to continue on in that same lifestyle. And so my mother, as she grows up and begins to come of age, she begins to do the same thing that she began to drink and to do drugs. She began to try to fill that void in her life with the same ideas. And it was relationship after relationship and whiskey bottle after whiskey bottle and party after party doing everything that she could do to try to just survive being abused and being hated seeing things that she should have never saw as a young girl hey can I tell you something that when she walked into a church house in 1986 she didn't come in with a perfect little story she had never been in church consistently not any kind of church anywhere not a mom and dad who taught her about the love of Jesus not a mom and dad who taught her about he died for her but a mom and dad who would curse her a mom and many stepdads who would take advantage of her a mom and many stepdads who hated her and would do anything that they could to take complete advantage and can I tell you when she walked in to gospel Truth Pentecostal Church in 1986. She didn't come with a perfect little biography. She didn't come with a history in Pentecost, but she came damaged goods. She and my dad came on the edge of getting a divorce, on the very verge of calling it quits themselves. My mom going to follow after that same thing that was laid before her, saying, I guess it's over for us. Them fighting every day. Them cursing every day. Me being a brand new baby. Them saying we don't want it to end this way. So she goes into that place and and she's damaged goods. Nothing to offer God. They don't have money to offer. They don't have position to offer. They don't have the perfect little family to offer. Everything is falling apart. Everything is, is just coming undone. The baggage that she's carrying with her. The pain. The hurt that is trailing behind her. She's damaged goods. But can I tell you something? That God began to put a life back together. That God began to orchestrate a life. And I never knew a mom and a dad that would curse each other. I never knew a mom that would pop a top on a bottle and try to drown her sorrows away. I never knew a mom who would curse at me. I never knew a mom who would call me any name other than sweet and kind and loving names. I 
never knew a mom who would abuse me or a dad who would abuse me. But I knew a mom and a dad who would pray and seek the face of God. I knew a mom and a dad that would tuck me in bed at night and pray over me and read me Bible stories. I knew a mom and a dad who were at church every time the doors were open. They were there because they loved it. They were there because they cared for it. They were there because God had taken them out of the life that they had lived and put their life back together. I know we're kind of going just a little bit different today, but I just want to bear my heart. I don't stand before you because I have anything to offer. I don't stand before you because I have a perfect little pedigreed family. I stand before you damaged goods today. I stand before you with a past that is trailing me. I stand before you today with a past that is behind me, but that past is behind me under the blood. That past is behind me being taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm no longer identified by that. I don't have to be a drunk because my grandpa was a drunk. I don't have to be an abuser because he was an abuser, but I can be a child of the king. I can be successful in the kingdom of God. I can be something for God because he took damaged goods and made something new out of them. Because God can put everything back together again. Because God can make a life right again. I don't know who I'm preaching to here today. But I felt it in prayer last night. That there is somebody in this church. There is an individual here. That that you want to do something for God. That it's your desire to go to that next level in God. But every time you do that the enemy of your soul is pursuing after you. Telling you what a failure you are telling you that God could never use you because of what you've done and who you are but I've come to preach to you today that it does not matter what you've done and who you are if it's under the blood you're no longer damaged goods you're no longer that that problem person but what you are is a new creature you hear me today you do have value you are beautiful you are wonderful oh Somebody that's been crying yourself to sleep at night. Somebody that, that, that just you've been in that place in such tor- torment by the failures that you've made. That you don't think that anybody could ever trust you again. You hear me. You hear me in the Holy Ghost. you got to give it to God. Let go of it. Release the hurt. Release the anger. Stop holding on to it. Stop making excuses with it. But say, God, here it is. I may not have the talents and the abilities that others have. God, I may have these hang-ups, Lord. I, I, I may have a past that haunts me. But God, I'm ready to get rid of it. I'm ready to lay it down at the altar, God. I'm ready to give it to you. I'm tired of dealing with it, God. Can you make me new? God, can you make it over again, Lord? Can you release me from it, God? 
That's what Jesus came for. That's what he walked into this world for. The first time he stood to read in the synagogue, he said, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are abused, bruised. What he was saying was, is I've come for the people that are damaged goods. I've come for the people with imperfections. I've come for the people with the baggage. That's what I've come for. He said, Luke chapter number 5, verse 31 and 32, I'm coming to a close. Jesus answering, said to them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. God didn't come for somebody that's got everything together. If you're here in the house today and everything's perfect in your life and you say, I really don't need help, well, God can't help you. But if you're here today and you said, Lord, I've tried it so many times on my own and all I've done is made a mess. Lord, I've tried to handle this on my own and all I've done is made it worse. Come on, perhaps I'm preaching to somebody that you've tried to deal with the hurt and the depression by getting on some sort of antidepressant medicine. But can I tell you today that you don't have to do that anymore. All you have to do is begin to cry out to him. All you have to do is to lift up that damaged part of your life to him he is the one that said cast all your cares upon me for I care for you he is that one that came for the sick and the hurting and the infirmed and the people with pain in their life he is that one that came with such deep love He's not come to judge you. He's not come. There will be a day when we will face judgment. But what he's come with today is love. What he's come with today is saying, listen, if you'll just give it to me, I'll make it new. If you'll just give it to me today, I can make it over again. Micah chapter number 7, verse number 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again and will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. Now we'll cast our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what he wants to do for you. It's to get you beyond your past. It's to get you beyond the hurt. I feel it. That's what I felt in prayer over and over. And I keep coming back to it. I know I do. And forgive me for it. But I feel that somebody in this place has been hurt by somebody else. I don't know whether it's abuse. I don't know what it is. But that somebody has inflicted hurt upon you. And that you can't get past that hurt that's been a that it's been just put on your life and you've allowed yourself to be identified by it. You've allowed yourself to carry it around. You've, you've allowed it to be in the back of your mind and, and you'll shout on a Sunday night the wonderful service like we had last Sunday night and you'll get a little victory but then on Monday morning that old enemy is back around with your mind reminding you of that hurt, reminding you of that pain, reminding you of your scarred life. But I want to tell you today 
that there's a God. He wants to take that hurt from deep down in your heart tucked away in a back room somewhere in your heart nobody knows about it nobody sees when you're in your bed alone at night crying yourself to sleep because you come to church and you smile you come to church and, and, and you say praise the Lord brother praise the Lord sister how you doing and everything looks right but at night when you're alone you're crying and at night when you're alone you're remembering what they did to you and your world comes apart at night and you try to put it back together in the morning, can I tell you something? You're never going to be able to put it together. But if you'll just give it to him, if you'll just give it to him, he is the one that can take your life and begin to work it and begin to shape it and begin to make it into something new. If we could stand all over this house today, Please come to the music. It was an old poem. Brother Ewing, Sister Ewing, made into a song. I know it's familiar to many of us today, but I felt to read it. Twas battered and scarred. The auctioneer thought it was hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings. He played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, What now am I bid for this old violin? As he held it aloft with its bow. One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going, going, gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like an old violin. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. God specializes in damaged goods. I don't know who you are here today, but the Holy Ghost sent me here to tell you you're valuable to God. If you'll just allow God in that place, 
if you'll just allow the master's hands to be applied to that place in your heart you won't allow anybody else in that secret hurt that you've tried to hold bottled up for years how much longer ma'am are you going to try to entertain it away how much longer sir are you going to try to outrun it and outwork it You can try to earn all the money you want. Try to get all the stuff that you can get. And get all the positions that you want. Work all the hours that you want to work. But at night when you lay your head back down, that hurt's still going to be there. You're not going to outrun it. But there is a Savior who is rich in mercy. There is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. There is a God who wants to wash you and sanctify you. There is a God who wants to offer you justification. Who wants to take the bitter feelings that you have. You're never going to get past that bitterness on your own. But if you'll just give it to Him, if you'll allow Him to take that precious part of your life that's damaged and set His bow to it, He can bring a beautiful song forth out of it. Come on, it's not joyful the things you've been through. It's not comfortable the things you've been through. It's not fun, the places that you've had to go. But God wants to bring it to completion. God wants to bring it to fulfillment. And He wants to make it new. Come on, that hurts not to to bring just a death in your life. I know it feels like that right now. That, That pain and that turmoil you've been through. It's not brought you to that place to be the end of you. But God has placed it there. You you feel like you're damaged goods because of it. You feel like you're worthless because of it. Preacher, you don't even know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. If I could tell you the stories. If I could tell you the stories of our family, of my wife's family. But look at what God has been able to do. We didn't hold it back. Yes, 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 we were damaged goods. But we gave it to him, saying, God, here it is. So he's able to pull that bow across our life and begin a wonderful song. And that's what he wants to do for somebody here today, to set you free from that prison of pain, to set you free from that prison of hurt. God specializes in damaged goods. I'm opening up these altars right now. I wonder if there's anybody that would come. You're not saying you're backslidden far from it. I've felt in prayer that it's somebody that's precious. That it's somebody that's faithful. But there's just something that you've had to deal with long enough.
that there's just something that you've cried yourself to sleep over long enough. I wonder if you would come and give it to him. I wonder if you'd come and lay it down on the altar, sir, Pam. I wonder if it could be that, that we could be like Abraham and David and so many people that we read about in the Bible that we don't have to be identified by that baggage anymore. But that when they begin to tell the story of our life, it's not the, the that's the man that was a drunkard that's the man that was a failure that's the man that had been abused but hey that's that man who's used of God hey that's that man who's used in the kingdom hey that's that man who's powerful hey that's that man who's able to bring people to church hey that's that man who has such a powerful testimony God specializes in damaged goods these altars are open today. Would you come? Would you come, saint of God? Would you come, friend of mine, today? Would you come today? Would you allow God to take it from you today? Come on, friend. Come on, friend. Come on, God's waiting on you. You don't have to deal with it anymore, sir. You don't have to deal with it anymore, ma'am. The only thing that's going to keep it back is your pride today. It don't matter what anybody thinks. I already told you today that everybody in this house is damaged goods. If we would be truthful today, each and every one of us has a past that we wouldn't want people to know about. Every one of us today has something in our past that would be embarrassing. Every one of us today has something that is a hang up that we would not want anybody to know about but if we'll give it to God today we can get past it <laughs> if we'll lay it on an altar today we won't have to deal with it one more night come on you can get to that place where you can look at that person and not hate them you can get to that place where you can look at that loved one and not want to harm them you can get to that place where you get beyond the failures <laughs> that's it somebody give it to him today that's it somebody lay it at his feet today <laughs> Come on, nobody's judging today. Nobody's judging your motives today. Nobody's judging your issues today. Nobody's looking at you with eyes of judgment. All of us, everybody's praying. Everybody's seeking God. Come on, everybody pouring your heart out today. Come on, allow it. Allow it to, to, to be taken out of your heart. Don't hold on to it again. Don't hold it in your hand. But open your hands and allow them to be released today. Come on. There's release in this house for you. There's release in this place for you. If you allow God, he'll release you from it today. Come on. You are valuable. God does want to use you if you will allow him. God has called you. And if you will allow him, he will use you. <laughs> he loves you today. He loves you today. Come on, everybody, pray it as she begins Something to sing. Beautiful.
make all things new today for everyone in this house. All of you may have come in this house feeling unworthy. None of us are worthy. But by his blood, we can be made worthy. Come on, you may have failed last All night, but God wants to make something to beautiful today. <laughs> was broken Come on, say to God, I need you to pray with me today. Come on, say to God, I need you to pray with me today. But he 